This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. During the American Civil War and the Battle of Fredericksburg, December 13, 1862, a Confederate soldier by the name of Richard Roland Kirkland endured a full day of severe fighting. In the bloody aftermath, tremendous suffering pursued. Over 8,000 Union soldiers had been shot. Many lay there on the ground dying. By daylight the next day, the moans from the dying filled the air. It was an unbearable tragedy. The next several hours became worse and worse. Testing the hearts of these victorious Confederate soldiers, thousands of men without food, without water, or even medical treatment. Painful cries and pleas for help filled the air. But none dared to lift a finger to help these men. They were the enemy. It could mean certain death for even trying to help them. Kirkland could no longer bear listening to the cries of these men. He bravely stood up and walked towards the men, and he told his general that he was going to help these men, dangerous or not. Kirkland gathered as many canteens as he could carry, and he filled them at a nearby water well. And then, at extreme risk, he carried all of these canteens around his shoulders to the wounded and to the suffering. Even though these men were his bitter enemies, Kirkland's heart was filled with the spirit that Christ gave to us by example. We should love our neighbors as ourselves. Even our enemies we should love as ourselves. Kirkland's deeds required no spiritual gift. There was no mystical power involved and no sign from the heavens showing that Kirkland was all-powerful. Kirkland acted in love. Yet, when we learn of his love towards his fellow man, we all realize Kirkland is was acting in accordance with the Holy Spirit, tender mercy. Sometimes we find that cult followers, on the other hand, 
they get caught up in signs and wonders. Even though Jesus Christ said that an evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, they look for great power. Even using the name of Jesus, it does not signify the Holy Spirit. They look more for the power than they do the Holy Spirit. Acts 19 tells us a story of, of men who tried to misuse the name of Jesus Christ. They, they tried to misuse the power. They had watched Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, casting out demons in the name of Jesus. It says, and Paul was doing extraordinary miracles, so that even the handkerchiefs or the aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. God was doing these miracles. Paul was just the vessel. And the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Paul had nothing to do with those aprons. Paul had nothing to do with the handkerchiefs. It was, it was God. But we find that others, not having the Holy Spirit, tried to do the same in the name of Jesus. It says, Then certain of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had the evil spirit, saying, I adjure you by the by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Now these seven sons, they were not concerned with the people. They were after the power. They wanted the ultimate power so that people would respect them, not the Christ that Paul pointed others to. They tried to elevate themselves by using the name of Jesus as an enchantment. But in the crowd, there were not two or three gathered looking for Christ to heal. There were just these men looking for power, and the evil spirit answered them. There was none to stand and help these men in the name of Christ. The evil spirit looked at these men and said, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled to the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. The name of the Lord Jesus became greater, even though these men were trying to abuse the power. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought the books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000 pieces of silver of these magic books, divination, the same thing that William Branham practiced. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and mightily prevail. You see, power-hungry men did not die with the Old or New Testament. Even today, we find that men seek after the power 
rather than the Holy Spirit that now lives within us. They want to be able to have this power to help others instead of letting the power of the Holy Spirit bless everyone. Instead of giving the same gift of the Holy Spirit to others so that others might do the same thing, men like Branham rise so that they themselves can have this ultimate power. They want this power for themselves. Some think that William Branham fell into this error late in his ministry, seeking after the power. They think that it was after his mental illness worsened, but we want to present to you a completely different argument. Let's take, for example, the man from Windsor. William Branham tells a story about a man who questioned his power, a man who questioned this ultimate power that William Branham had. This man supposedly faked the illness on his card, and when he came through the prayer line, Branham used his ultimate power to smite the man to the ground. This story starts in 1950. When Branham first tells his story, he says that the man who faked his diseases on his card fell to the ground and began screaming for help. Like these men, these Confederate soldiers, screaming for help. 1953, he changes it a bit. He adds the part where the man received the diseases that was on his card. He says that the man, whatever he wrote on that card, he says that that man got those diseases and he was still afflicted to that day in 1953. 1954, he says that finally, this man who wrote these diseases on the card had died from those diseases that were written on the card. That's 1954. Let's stop here. 1954. The, the story Branham tells about the man who died from his diseases, to this point, the story is somewhat believable. The man went through the prayer line. He wrote some diseases on his card. He was faking those to see what William Branham would say. And he got to the pulpit and fell over, suffering from diseases, and finally he died, 1954. But there's a big problem here. Branham, though claiming to be filled with the Holy Spirit, had absolutely no remorse for this man. He was almost thrilled that his power could smite the man. Like the Jewish exorcist, he was after the power. Not like the men who risked his life to save the enemy. But then the problem worsens. Two years later, 1956, this man, who William Branham claimed to have died in 1954, suddenly was still bedfast to this day. Blind Bartimaeus, paragraph 66, he says that this man was still bedfast to this day. Also in 1956, he says that this man did not fall on the platform. He says that this man 
ran screaming from the platform. One could argue that maybe the man fell to the floor in the original story and he was <clears throat> you know, temporarily paralyzed, but it doesn't end there either. 1957, William Branham claims that this man died a year later. A year later from the original story would have been 1951. So that would collaborate the original story. The man died from his diseases. So if it was a year later, that would be 1951. Yet, earlier that same year in 1956, Branham claimed that he was still bedfast to the same day. 1957, he died a year later. He says that in January. But later in the year, he says he was still in serious condition. Now, which is it? This is an interesting year. The man died, but yet he's still in a serious condition. Which is it? Is it a dead guy or is it a sick guy? 1958 is just simply an out-and-out -out lie. 1958, in February, he says, the man died six months later from cancer. Not a year, not in 1951, as he claimed earlier. He wasn't still alive, as he claimed sometimes. This was 1958, he says, that the man died six months later. Then, less than 30 days away, he says that this man was carried from the platform paralyzed and was still paralyzed. This is less than 30 days apart. Branham says that the man died from cancer, but then a few days later he says he was carried from the platform paralyzed, and he was still paralyzed. So tell me this, how did this man run screaming when he was paralyzed? How did the man run screaming when he was dead? He mentions this man three more times. He never apologizes to the congregation for lying. Though this is a blatant lie, he went to his grave thriving on the power that he claimed to have in this story. The next three times he says he dies six weeks later. He says again he dies six weeks later. He says that he received the diseases on his card. He lightened it up a bit. But there was never any remorse for the man. While most pastors would have stared in absolute sheer horror that some poor man had fell suffering, Branham was not at all concerned with the man's welfare. All he was concerned with was the power that he describes in this story. All he cared for was that the people knew that he, William Branham, was all-powerful. The funny part, he did not even need to have the power to get this power trip. All he had to do was say, I did it, and people would believe it. Right before Jesus told the parable of 
the unforgiving servant. Peter asked him this question. He said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now when you consider the unforgiving nature of Branham's power-hungry mind and this poor man from Windsor that likely never even existed, the words of Jesus are very humbling. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Meaning, you should forgive always, constantly forgive. Not smite them down like a sorcerer. As Christians, we should ask ourselves, if we stood by the pearly gates and watched people entering into the gates of heaven, and William Branham and Richard Rowland Kirkland were to walk in side by side, what would happen? If St. Peter were given the choice of either one man or the other, Richard Rowland Kirkland or William Branham, after being instructed by Jesus Christ to forgive without hesitation, which man would Peter choose? Which man would Jesus Christ choose?